Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Sarah Kalaski, an actor and filmmaker who stars in the new drama Great, Great, Great. Sarah co-wrote and co-produced it with her longtime friend and collaborator Adam Garnett-Jones, who also directed, and she gives a terrific performance as Lauren, a very nice young woman who finds herself at a crossroads in her life and responds by making some really questionable decisions. The film screens at Landmark Theatres across Canada this Wednesday, October 4th, as part of their Canadian indie film series, and then it goes into general release on Friday. You should really check it out. Sarah picked Morvern Caller. Lynn Ramsey's intensely focused 2002 adaptation of Alan Warner's novel about a woman who wakes up one morning to find her boyfriend dead by his own hand. All he's left behind is a note, some money, and a completed novel, and what she does next is, well, she makes some really questionable decisions of her own. It's a strange, alienating film, and one that requires a lot of patience from the viewer, but Samantha Morton is absolutely magnetic in the lead, and Ramsey knows it. We're drawn to Morvan even as she pushes us away. Also, uh, about two minutes in, we won't remember the name of the song dedicated to the one I love. Just warning you. This is someone else's movie. I chose Morvern Caller because it... The first time I watched it, I was in high school, and I remember watching it with my friend, and uh, I hated it the first time I saw it. I was so frustrated by it. I just I didn't understand what it was supposed to be about, and it just felt like the pacing was so slow and I didn't know what the point was. And it, it's maybe the first film that I remember having that type of reaction to. Okay. And uh, and then I rewatched it a few years later. I'm not sure why, but I, for whatever reason, I came back to it and, and then just loved it. Like everything clicked for me. And... Uh, and, and it just suddenly, yeah, it, it made sense. I think I identified a lot more with it at, at the time. And uh, and I just understood that it was a movie about grieving, or at least that, to me, what it was the the real message of the film. And it I, I found it much more moving the second time I watched it when I was a little older. Yeah. Had you experienced loss between the two? I don't there... think so. Like, yeah. I think my cat died. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, I was just in a different place in my life. I don't remember exactly when I rewatched it, but it was probably, I don't know, probably in university or something. So maybe like 10 years ago, something like that. And uh, yeah, I think I was just, I could appreciate it more. Um, and having you know seen a, a, a wider breadth of films at that point and uh uh yeah and just the, the last song at the end of i guess am i am i allowed to like ruin yeah, the no, film absolutely. for people <laughs> we're, we're assuming the the premise of the of the podcast is essentially like you might as well have seen this if you're listening to okay the yes so, yeah, yeah please free. watch this movie <laughs> um and there's not a lot of plot in it so it's i feel like i'm not really yeah ruining. it's hard to spoil it really the opening scene is like the one it's like once you've seen the opening that's sort of the big giveaway um but yeah, when she's at the uh, club and it's revealed uh, the, for the last scene, when it's revealed that she's listening to um, uh, the Mamas and the Papas. Oh, the song. Sorry. Um, 
California Dreaming? Uh, no. no uh, yeah. Darkest Hour is Just Before Dawn. Bum, 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 bum. While I'm Far Away From You, My Baby. Right. Uh, say, whatever the title is called. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when it's revealed that she's listening to that song at the end on her earphones from the mixtape that her boyfriend made for her, um, I just, yeah, everything sort of like came together for me in that scene. I was like, oh my gosh, she's just in this very deep grieving process and trying to figure out who she is now that she uh, doesn't, that, yeah, now that her boyfriend is gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I I had a similar reaction the first mm-hmm. time I saw it. I did not like it. I, okay. okay. I found it crushingly slow. Yeah, and right. It is. Yeah. It's, like it's a yeah. really deliberately paced film. Mm-hmm. But the, the, I mean, I was in my... 2002, 2003, so I was in my mid-30s, mm-hmm. and just got impatient with it mm-hmm. very, very quickly, mm-hmm. and the second time I watched it, which was um, maybe maybe not until We Need to Talk About Kevin came out again, because Ramsey went away for a while. She was I trying know. to get work made, yeah. films made, and, and she was associated with The Lovely Bones, which then didn't happen. Yes, yeah, I heard that, yeah. And so I just didn't think about it for the longest time. Yeah. And then Kevin came out, and I really didn't like that. I actually haven't seen I've, I Because everyone said they didn't like it, so I've avoided watching it. Uh, and then, it's not an unreasonable response. Yep. <laughs> like, everybody's around you saying, <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, it's a really... We Need to Talk About Kevin is a really frustrating movie because mm. it, it is completely the opposite of Morvan Caller in mm. its execution, which is that it keeps telling you what the subtext and themes are. Ugh. It's a, It goes through the book with a highlighter, basically. Ugh. And Tilda Swinton is very good. Yes, and I, as always. I wish, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I take nothing away from her performance, but the movie just saturates itself in what it's about and, and ultimately has a pivot at the end that I found really illogical, but that's something you have to take up with the author and the, and the adaptation. Right, yeah. But but it made me go back to look at Morvan Caller again because it was so different mm-hmm. an experience that I thought, well, wait, did I completely... Really, I remember Morvan Caller being this yeah. slow, quiet... I mean, it's noisy, but it's not emotionally loud. Yeah. This, this subtle, tiny, suffocatingly slow study, and I kind of pushed myself into watching it again, and I really liked it. Yeah. And I wonder if that isn't just because once the expectation of an unknown is, is removed. I don't know how to articulate it really, but you know, when you watch a movie a second time, no matter what, you're not going to have the same preconceptions or you'll mm-hmm. have different preconceptions. You know mm-hmm. the pace, you know the story. Mm-hmm. Some part of mm-hmm. your brain isn't trying to figure out where it goes. Yeah. And so that let me just sink into Morton's performance mm-hmm. and she's amazing. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Watching it again just the other day, I was like, I can't take my eyes off of you the whole time. You're just so... She's so mesmerizing in it, and and it, but it also feels like she's doing so little. Like I think yeah. a lot of the time, I, I feel like it, it's such a great example of the power of the close up, um, because so much of the film is just you following her face and watching her reactions and like trying to understand what's going through mm-hmm. her head. But um, it, and I feel like it's interesting because. Uh, like of, of Lynn Ramsey's choice to show or to shoot it so much in close-ups, I think that that works so well um, at bringing you into her character because 
Otherwise, if it was all wide shots, you'd just be like, wow, this is a really alienating film about an alienating character. And But with the close-ups, you're just like, you can't do anything but be with her through that journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the lack of another face to focus on mm-hmm. in a room with a corpse for that first yes. movement is really yeah. off-putting as well. Yeah, because, yeah. You don't even see her boyfriend's face. Yeah. I just realized that. You yeah. have no idea how to take it right? yeah like it just um i read roger ebert's review a little while ago just yeah. refamiliarizing yeah. myself with the other critical takes on it and he uh he is convinced that it was a class study that because more is working I read class his review as well yeah. yeah that he this is a betrayal that only a an educated spoiled man could come up with yeah i i thought it was really interesting yeah but but it, it's fascinating because we have exactly as much information as he does right like that's the conclusion he reached and i yeah. just whenever there's a a suicide of a young person in a film I tend to think that that was it's an expression of illness or sadness or depression or something yeah. but but of course the whole point is we can't really know what his reasons are exactly and Morton doesn't give us anything like she doesn't show us how Morvern feels about him yeah so we're even more adrift yeah yeah your only clues are really his suicide note which mm-hmm. i agree with roger ebert it's very condescending yeah. like more of a don't try to understand this don't underline yes. <laughs> like really really you okay um <laughs> uh like she couldn't possibly she's not smart enough yeah. um, i like that he mansplains his own death yeah right? that's sort of cool <laughs> yeah classic someday i hope to do that I'll yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, it, upon rewatching it, it struck me as like such a selfish move. And, uh, and then it's sort of met with Morvern's selfishness in, um, taking the book, uh, for her own gain. And, and just, I love that shot where you just see her deleting his name yeah. one character at a time and writing her own and it's it's so painstakingly slow but yeah. so great yeah. <laughs> you know, i remember the first time i was like how could she possibly do? and watching it again i was like yeah of course that guy <laughs> seems like a jerk and she literally has nothing else and i love the shot where she so gingerly like takes that bit of cash out of his back pocket and looks at how much there is and then puts some of it back yeah because um, yeah we were saying we don't really know much about the boyfriend at all we don't even see his face but but it's through her interaction with the body and and the note and the book that you were getting all these clues about their relationship and um it's yeah it's funny because i think when i rewatched it the first time i think that i i was like oh she was deeply in love with him and now when I rewatched it the other day, I was less sure of that. Yeah. Um, but I think again, I'm I'm projecting maybe a lot of my own life experiences onto the character, sure, yeah. which I think is sort of the beauty of a film like that, where we're not given a lot um, of explanation about what's going on. Um, you uh, you end up just projecting your own life experiences onto the character, which is what we found to do a little segue, uh, what we found with great, 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 my film, because we're not explaining so much of what's going on in Lauren's head. So, um, we found that people really, the people who identify with her will come up to us and, and give us very, 
personal ways that they identified with her or right. fiance Tom and I I just I love it. It's so interesting to talk to people after they watch the film. Um and and, and yeah, it's it's I, yeah, it always surprises me because it's like we've put something very personal into the film and then uh, people just feel comfortable coming up to us and, and sharing something really personal about their lives, and it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it is a weird thing, right? I mean, when you're so specific as to be almost oblique, mm-hmm. you know, when, you, when you can only convey what it means to you, somehow other people feel that it's their experience or, or it relates to them in some way. Yeah. And, and with Morvan Keller, like, any interpretation is, is equally valid, or yeah. all interpretations are equally valid, yeah. because he's gone. Like, there's yeah. nothing of him. We never yeah. even really read his book, so we don't yeah. know who he was. Exactly. Or... Yeah, that, I think I found that quite frustrating the first time as well. You don't even know what the book is about. These publishers love it. Yeah. And they're going to give her 100,000 pounds for which is 2002 like, is a lot of money. Yeah, which is insane. Like, that's, I never. I read a, another review by The Guardian, which is sort of pointing out the plot holes in it. And they're like, by the way, that would never happen. <laughs> no one gets that much money. Um, yeah, all these things that really, I think, I found frustrating the first time. The second time, I was just sort of like, sure, we don't need to know that. It's not important. Mm-hmm. It's not about the book. It's about her and her reaction to everything that's going on around her. Yeah, and once you stop worrying about what it all means, you can figure it out. Yeah. You can figure out what it means on your own terms or yeah. what, what you need it to mean. Yeah. And that's... Like that's really fascinating about about this sort of narrative mm-hmm. when it works, when it actually lands, mm-hmm. and the fact mm-hmm. that the film doesn't give you a big climactic explanation is also mm-hmm. really important because mm-hmm. uh, we need to talk about Kevin goes in the opposite direction mm-hmm. and shows you this flashback at the very end, which is supposed to explain everything, but just makes you ask more questions about oh. the events that you see and why oh. people would blame this character for what happens in that character's head and all that, and and oh. this just felt. The first time, yeah, incredibly frustrating. Um, it's an exercise in self-denial and yeah. and in a performance that, that is so contained that it appears to be blank until you look closer. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, her face is so expressive in ways that sort of goes back and forth between... Um, being sort of this childlike naivete and then this sort of older, wiser, very um, guarded uh, uh, person. And I think that, yeah, there's so much tension created through through her performance and the way the story is told and all these contradictions from the start of the film when, uh, yeah, you see this body and she's lying beside it, but she's not crying. And then she goes out to a party with her friends and doesn't tell anyone that he's dead. Yeah. And you're just like, what is going on inside your head? But um, but I think that's okay. I, I mean, whatever, you know, she's just dealing with it in her own strange way. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think flashbacks would, or any kind of explanation would would reduce the impact mm-hmm. I mean, it would make it yeah. less interesting yes. to know oh she was always a little weird about emotions or she's so profoundly in love with him that this has just shattered her and crushed her and she has no ability to function any of those things is possible um i have this pet theory that you know the first time you you experience profound grief i think is the the most fundamental thing that 
can happen to a person. Mm-hmm. You know, like you are a different person afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have all your memories and you have all of your responses, but you're not the same person you mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, you know, the loss of innocence or the coming of age or the, the, the first encounter with adult responsibility. But, but I think, you know, you could even argue that this movie starts when Morvern is created, when this version of her begins, if you believe that she was so desperately invested in him in the first place. Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. this idea that like his death is her rebirth. Yeah. So at the beginning... The first the end, of the rest of her life. Exactly, yeah. Goes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that idea. But it's just sort of... I guess we're, what we're watching in the film is the in-between stage of that. Mm. Like her trying to figure out what she wants and, and just the small choice to leave... Her town at the end, um, I love. It's like that's all you need to know that she's escaping that life, yeah. and um, and yeah, the relationship with her best friend Lana, who yeah, at the end she's just like, well, it's the same crap everywhere. Morver, and it's not, you know, it, nothing's gonna change. People are the same everywhere mm-hmm. you go, and it's just so pessimistic and and sad. And I love that Morver's like, nope. I'm going. And she doesn't even say goodbye. She's just like, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom and then gets up and leaves. And it's just like, oh, man. (laughs) It's really, I mean, if you wanted to frame it as the work of someone who's profiting off a death or, or, or just, I mean, the first time I saw it, I thought there was, I got so caught up in the idea that there was no possible way that the publishing of the book would hold up that the book would come out and you know doesn't this guy have friends don't people know he was writing something is that why she's bugging out at the end because she's fleeing trying to get out ahead of everything yes but oh, yes, i don't yeah. think so now i mean this on second viewing i really don't think so i think that she's somebody who has incredibly simple uh tastes aspirations mm-hmm. and and suddenly her world is expanded by the possibility of the money mm-hmm. and that's enough mm-hmm. To do all of these things, but I don't think. I mean, I don't know. Was she working as a supermarket cashier to fin- while he finished his novel? Was she putting him through like the equivalent of putting him through school? Does oh, she believe that she's owed this success as much as yeah. he would have been? Yeah. Is the book really hers? I mean. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. It's yeah. all. I mean, obviously he wrote it, but yeah. What if she does feel that she owns it? What yeah. If, what if she's reclaiming her life after yeah. this guy destroys his? Yeah. What if it's about her? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to, to know because yeah. the film will not tell you. Yeah, it's and it, based on a book, the, Yeah, though. and I was going to say the yeah. book apparently withholds a great deal as well. Oh, okay, yeah, interesting. I never read the book. No, me neither. I wonder how that would read as a book. I mean, you must be much more inside her head. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's her, inter- her interior monologue. Oh, I mean, it would, would it, I guess, I was going to say, it would have to be, maybe not. Maybe the, the only way to do it is describe it in third person. That just sounds like a very boring book. I don't know. <laughs> Because the film, I mean, it's visual, but then you have the sound, the music mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the mixtape, the idea exactly. of yeah, being left it. with. Yeah, yeah, this mysterious mixtape. Um, I love the use of music in the film, how a lot of the time it acts as a counterpoint to what's going on on mm-hmm. screen. I mean, there's, of course, the uh, scene where she is dismembering (laughs) the body uh, before burying it. And uh, I remember, yeah, seeing that for the first time and just being like, what? (laughs) Were you like, this is so gross. Oh my God, oh my God. Um, And then the second time uh, watching it and thinking, whoa, she is so cool. (laughs) 
just like she the way she dresses up for it and well and i mean the fact that she's almost totally nude is it's it's just such a weird tension again that yeah. that um linda ramsey is creating because you you're like am, am i supposed to be turned on by this yeah. uh, she's doing something so violent but it's sort of sexualized and but then you're also listening to this really unsexy song <laughs> it's the velvet underground right? uh, yeah i'm you. i'm sticking with you yeah, yeah and it's sung by by mo tucker right in a, in a weird know. sing-song voice yeah i always assumed it was her uh i should know these things you should know these things yeah i don't know <laughs> but yeah i'm pretty sure yeah it's velvet underground but but it wasn't lou reed no definitely yeah, no. <laughs> and it's uh yeah i I was I was trying to figure that out as you were saying like that it is weirdly sexual. It's maybe it's because it's primal. It's just so oh. like it's caveman stuff, yeah, in a really we- or cavewoman stuff in, yeah, in yeah, a really yeah. weird way that you're yeah. seeing someone erase a person, yeah, on a level that and and that's what she does over and over again yeah. too, like literally changing the name of the, of the yeah. authorship of the book. Yeah, uh, but she is. She doesn't report the death. She doesn't mention it to anyone. She clearly puts up with the corpse until it starts to become untenable. Yes. Oh, yeah. That, that great scene where she's just like spraying air yeah. pressure everywhere. And you're like, oh, right. The smell. Right. Oh, God. But just mechanically, without any investment emotionally, it just, mm-hmm. this is how she's handling it. Yeah. And then when she finally does cut up the, like, finally does dispose of the corpse, mm-hmm. it's, it's, she reveals herself on every conceivable level. Like she's showing us the, her Morton is showing us her body, but Morvin is showing us her absolute lack of concern for this person. Mm-hmm. Like this is the last thing she's doing mm-hmm. before moving on. And it's yeah. just this grisly cleanup that she's clearly thought through mm-hmm. more than anything else she does in yes. the film. Cause everything yeah. else feels so impulsive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like very precise. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it really is yeah. just, it's unlike anything. I mean, Ramsey has this sort of, she eroticizes things in her other films. Like Ratcatcher is a strangely, like pre-sexual movie. This is embarrassing, but I haven't seen Don't it. Be it's okay. There are a lot of movies out there. <laughs> People keep referencing. Oh, and then her in Ratcatcher, and I'm like, I haven't seen well, it. Well, DVD's but, right behind you. You're oh, welcome to borrow it. I would love to. <laughs> it's a Criterion release. I think oh, it's the only one of her films to get a Criterion release. Oh, and uh, yeah, and still no Blu-ray either, which is weird. It's it's a film that's tactile in a sensual way without that sounded so pretentious. Um, it's very it's very it's very much engaged with the world around it. Uh, it it's it's about a kid carrying guilt, okay. like a profound guilt that he doesn't really fully understand. Okay. But also he's a kid, so mm-hmm. there's all kinds of physical stuff going on. There's dirt in the world. There's things to play yeah. with. There's stuff to touch, and. It almost feels like it's pulling into puberty in a really, really strange way that I mm. don't think I could possibly articulate anymore mm. elegantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about the understanding, the awakening of understanding, and, and like sexuality is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And we need to talk about Kevin has a great deal of um, tact- textile, tact- uh, tactile imagery in it hmm. there's this whole thing about uh, like the tomato run in in italy somewhere oh where you just you know squeeze tomatoes are everywhere and it's the color of violence and all of that oh. stuff but it's very physically palpable huh and then this which is i mean there's sex in the film yeah and it's not 
good. Like it's not presented as a positive, a net positive. It's an escape, if anything. Exactly. Yeah. When she's in Spain, and uh, I, yeah, I love that she just follows that insect out of her room, and it goes into that other guy's room, and it's just so it seems so random. Yeah, she yeah, knocks yeah. on his door, and he's grieving because his mother has died, and then they take E or whatever, and then get high and have sex, and and then. And then it's over. And she's like, I have to go. I have to go. And yeah. it's, I, I find it really interesting in the film how she's, I, I feel like trying to connect with people around her. And then she'll either get pushed away by like her best friend who she does try to, she, yeah, she tells her at some point that uh, he's dead. He's, like, he's dead. And she's like, what? You're, I don't believe yeah, she you. She just what? doesn't accept it. Yeah. And that to me was so heartbreaking. So I'm like, this is your best friend and she even her best friend sort of makes the disappearance of the boyfriend about her by mm. um uh admitting that uh, she hooked up with him at one point and she thinks that's why he's run away and morvin's just like you are out of your mind <laughs> like you don't understand anything um uh, yeah so it's just like her like reaching trying to make these um real human connections but so much of it is so artificial and, and or superficial yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's all it's a movie about surface behavior right yeah. like it's about more of her projecting a, a version of herself that's successful and projecting a version of herself that isn't broken inside by whatever's yes. happening to her yeah and everything over and over and over again is all about how she performs herself to other people mm-hmm. but we like i still don't know who the real one is and i mm-hmm. think that's the whole point i think mm-hmm. that's i mean i i I've interviewed Morton subsequently and I didn't get to ask her about it because we didn't have time and it just sticks in my craw that I missed my window. Uh. (laughs) But I don't think she would, I don't think she would want to tell me. She wouldn't want to be asked, I think, as an actor. Yeah, that's not, I think it would be hard to, I think it would be, yeah, a difficult question to answer. Well, I mean, with Great, 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 the whole point of motivation is, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, but that's my interpretation of the psychology of the film. I think, what happens is well, I'm not even going to go into it for people listening because I'm pretty sure they won't have seen Great 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 yet. So go see that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it is, but it lines up in an interesting way with Morgan Callan because they're mm-hmm. both about female protagonists who keep their motivations to themselves, mm-hmm. who won't crack, mm-hmm. or who crack in ways that aren't conventional, dramatic revelations. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're playing someone who has to be. Um, Operating on a on a level that isn't immediately visible, I guess. I yeah, say. I think what you're saying about um, uh, Morvern always sort of performing the successful version of herself or trying to—that's very much what Lauren is concerned about in the film. Just always keeping up the veneer of having happy relationship and um, uh, and yeah, and everything's just good, everything's great, and uh, trying to yeah maintain all these different um, contradictions in yeah. herself, all these different things that she wants while just performing what she thinks her fiancé wants. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds weird to say that out loud, but <laughs> but the number of people who said, like, yes, yes, I, I know what that's like and identified with her and Tom and, like, both sides of it... Um, yeah, I've I've 
come to realize like, yeah, okay, great. I'm not the only one who feels like that <laughs> and people get it, um, which is really cool. Yeah. The, uh, the thing about, you know, low budget dramas is that it tends to focus people on people. Mm-hmm. The stories have to be told with character based you know, motivations and conflicts mm-hmm. and you know you're not going to have an explosion and this movie doesn't have a dragon in it and yeah. although oh, that I would, would be cool yeah. <laughs> you just tell people there's a dragon in a box that they never see yeah exactly watch out for the dragon at the end yeah <laughs> but the the way you do that is by making people interesting and mm-hmm. I find it absolutely fascinating that especially in the last 10 years I think as, as Mumblecore has solidified into just a legitimate form mm-hmm. of storytelling mm-hmm. uh, on a micro budget that we can trust audiences to wait and mm-hmm. watch and, mm-hmm. and use silence and tension. Soderbergh talked about this 10, 15 years ago when digital oh. started to come in. He said that he said he was really interested in the potential for long takes because you're just training audiences not to expect a cut. Oh, interesting. And, yeah, and stillness too, that you don't yeah. have wobble or judder yeah. in the frame. So people don't think they're watching a movie. They just start looking at life, I think is exactly how he put it. Oh, and wow. that stuck with me for a long time. I mean, maybe uh-huh. this was 2002, maybe when Full Frontal came out, something like that. But it was okay. a really interesting observation because yeah. he was also making the Oceans movies, which are these candy-colored, fast-motion yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. And then also, and on the other side of that spectrum, he's experimenting with stillness and and level shots and just waiting for people to reveal themselves yeah oh man i saw a soderbergh talk during tiff after um oh the girlfriend experience yes were you there oh Oh, so good it's the first season was one of the best things that i saw uh, on tv and sitting over there i haven't got to it oh yeah oh my god it's so good and um yeah amy simon's lodge kerrigan so brilliant and so i was super excited to see the first two episodes of the second season mm-hmm. and which I, is totally different right like exactly yeah in the Com- stories yeah completely different storyline and uh, well anyway that i could go on about this forever but um but uh they had this long um q a session after they screened the two episodes with soderbergh and amy simons lodge kerrigan and three of the key cast members oh, cool. and it was such a treat it was so wonderful it's i'm so excited for the show anyway everyone should watch girlfriend experience <laughs> never get to do anything cool like that. Um, I guess really then the we've kind of already touched on it but the the question of what if anything you've drawn from from Morvan Caller I mean is there any part of it that's in your creative DNA or something that you use oh that's a hard question yeah what's in my creative DNA um I think that part of the reason I really admire her performance, Samantha Morton's performance, is is just um, so uninhibited um, and and she's so vulnerable in it, but yet there's still um, uh, I, I hate saying I hate, I hate describing characters as being really strong, because I think that's sort of a dumb word i don't know mm-hmm. i i would i prefer the world the word vulnerable like human uh complex I, yeah there, sure, there's yeah. a such a complexity to her but it's presented in um uh, a simple way i guess and uh and i yeah just rewatching it i was just struck by how um 
brilliant a performance it is because like we were saying at the beginning you feel like she's kind of doing nothing but there's so much mm-hmm. happening there and uh that's i mean i would never want to compare my performance in greg or gray to smith one but um but i but i think there are similarities between our characters like we were saying and yeah i mean uh, well, when you suggested this it immediately lined up in my head yeah. where yep okay i totally see where that yeah. would be part of it yeah. or, or potentially anyway an inspiration yeah. what um and you wrote co-wrote the film exactly. so uh, what was the genesis of it where did it come from um well uh my director and co-writer adam garnett jones we've been working together for like almost 15 years now mm-hmm. since we met in university um and uh we had both been in long-term relationships that um we each ended um when we were in our 20s and uh we felt that we were watching our friends go through um a similar experience as well around the time that people were turning 30 everyone sort of decided to either get married or break off their long-term relationship and uh we were both at the point in our careers where this is about four years ago when we first came up with the idea for the film um we just wanted to work on something new we wanted to make a feature together we'd made a a bunch of shorts together Mm -hmm. and uh when we were thinking about ideas i was just like well why it has to be something manageable (laughs) um i want to play the lead role and so why not you know, write about what we know, what's been going on in our lives. And, uh, I, know, I guess it sounds like a, a cliche, but, but we had to make it, um, something that we could shoot ultra low budget. We, Adam and I just, uh, financed the production portion ourselves. And then, um, everyone worked on a deferred basis and we got money from telefilm to complete right. the film later on. But, um, uh, but yeah, in terms of the story itself, um, we, I guess, just, yeah, wanted to explore what was um, sort of driving people, uh, driving ourselves and our friends to either uh, take that next step step in relationships or throw it out the window. And we felt that we hadn't really seen that specifically explored in a film before, because so many films talk about the beginning of a relationship mm-hmm. or, or the total end of a relationship and what happens after the end of the relationship. But we wanted to talk about what happens in the middle like when you're really kind of when you feel stuck um and there's a lot of uncertainty that you might not want to talk to your partner about (laughs) it's just like very uncomfortable (laughs) well i mean people who can't articulate what's driving them yeah it's it's always been a source of fascination to me so i'm glad that somebody's exploring that space you know in a way but also was there and for you know did you ever just want to have her cut somebody up just you know I mean, I maybe not in great, 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 but I would sort of love to (laughs) have like a super violent scene. (laughs) That sounds awful, but 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 just to be able to go there as an actor, I think that would be really fascinating and fun because it's obviously obviously something I wouldn't do in real life. But uh, yeah, to do a scene like that one in Warburton Callow, like that I think would be really fun in a twisted way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, do one thing that scares you, that kind of thing. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, even yeah, um, 
just uh, what you said now just triggered something. Um, the idea of, of doing something that scared me. I wanted to take on a role that would push me as an actor and um, give me uh, lots of challenges and and still be you know fun in the end. The film has lots of comedic elements. Mm-hmm. We cast a lot of really great comedic actors in it. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I just I wanted to create a role for myself that allowed me to explore lots of different things and and yeah I was in almost every scene so when we started shooting I was like oh my god what have I done (laughs) I'm producing this and I have to cook dinner for everyone on the crew tomorrow (laughs) like what have I got myself into but it was still I, I was just so grateful that like that it came together that we were able to make it it was it's still sort of uh is unbelievable that it all happened and that I'm sitting here talking to you about this. It's insane. No, it worked out. It's what it's supposed to happen. Yeah, it, yeah it's what's supposed to happen. My thanks to Sarah Kalaski, who you can see in Great, 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 either in Landmark Cinemas across Canada this Wednesday, October 4th, or when it opens nationwide on Friday. She's really good, and so is the movie. You should check it out. You can find Sarah on Twitter at Sarah underscore Kalaski, all one word, and you can find Morvan Caller on DVD if you dig around a little bit. The U.S. release from Palm Pictures and the Canadian release from Alliance are out of print, but they're still in stock at most online retailers and in used stores everywhere. And if you're in the U.S. or U.K., you can stream the movie on Amazon Video right now. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review up on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever, that would be really nice of you. Um, also, that is Mo Tucker on I'm Sticking With You. I do know things. Thanks for listening.